Welcome to Life, bringing you insight and experiences into love, relationships, and fertility with a focus on enjoying life and moving forward. On today's podcast, I'm here with Risa Levine, and we'll be speaking about passion, perseverance, resolve, and how one person can make a difference. Welcome to Life, Love, Insight, Fertility, Experiences. Today we'll be speaking with Risa Levine, a lawyer by trade, believing in grassroots advocacy and mentoring to bring ideas to fruition. She was instrumental in having coverage for IVF included in the New York State budget. This change provides access to treatment to over 2.5 million New Yorkers. Risa proves that one person can make a difference. Resolve. The National Infertility Association, the largest repository of fertility information advocacy in the United States, created the Resolve Advocacy Legacy Award in honor of Risa A. Levine. Risa, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here to discuss these issues with you. You know, I met you just almost by happenstance. I went to the conference of Men Having Babies, and you were the moderator. I must admit, I didn't know who you are. I knew you were from Resolve, and I've done work with Resolve and know many people from there. And we had one on, on the podcast and was interested in a concept and so approached you. And you were so warm and welcoming and knowledgeable. And then as I learned about who you are, I was kind of in awe, to be honest with you, even though I mentioned that to you and you said there's nothing to be in awe of. But <laughs> I must say I was. And it takes a lot for me to feel that way because of the fact that you were able to take this, this passion that you had and this, this um, desire and make it happen. And as I read about you, I heard that everybody said that. So how do you do that? How do you find that inner strength to say this matters and it doesn't just matter to me, but it matters to the world and be able to make change on a level where now 2.5 million people can benefit from the hard work that you've done? Well, it didn't start just on one day. I've always been that person who was involved in various causes. And the interesting part for me was that I always did it for other things that uh -huh. I cared about, for large organizations in my community or on a college campus or after law school involved in the Jewish community. And it was always about people other than me or outside of me or overseas or um, external. Uh -huh. And when I was diagnosed with infertility and discovered that I had a $10,000 lifetime cap, I knew that that was wrong. Oh. And I knew it was wrong just not just for me, but for mm -hmm. other people too. And so suddenly I was faced with the opportunity to advocate on something that would possibly affect me personally, but that I knew firsthand would help other people across the country. It's amazing because a lot of people realize that. But to think that you can move it forward is the piece that's so fascinating. I talk to people all day long, and they're worried about the financial impact that the fertility treatment will have. And they don't know how they're going to do it. It's a struggle. But to be able to see that struggle in a different light, and, and from what you said, that you've always been doing that, is significant. But the fact that you are able to bring it to such a large level is profound. That inner strength and desire and vision is really something I think we can all take from. And I know that you believe in mentoring, so that's why I'm saying we could take from it, because we need to learn how to do that. We need to learn to do that on so many different levels in this world. And the fact that you were able to do it with IVF and make that difference is remarkable. 
Well, the single greatest thing about this country, we talk about all the problems that this country mm-hmm. has, but we forget to talk about one of the great things about this country. And mm-hmm. to me, the single greatest thing about this country is that every single person has access to their legislators, whether it's yes. their school boards or whether it's their um, federal re- representatives or their state representatives. Every single representative of government has office hours and has staff people whose sole job is to listen to the issues that are brought to them by constituents. And so when I meet people who say, I don't know why they don't do something about it, the first thing I say to them is, who's they? Because they is you. you. Um, you. They are not going to do something about Mm -hmm. anything until you tell them that it is a problem. That it matters. Yes. That it matters. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So you were doing all this work for all these other people, which was incredibly altruistic. And then all of a sudden you decided, well, let me put this energy into something that impacts me, but also impacts every other woman going through infertility. Mm -hmm. And that's huge because many people, when they're diagnosed with infertility, it's the first time they're ever diagnosed with anything. You're young. You're you know kind of on the early side of of going to doctors and medical conditions and understanding everything. So, how did you decide that you were going to kind of tackle this? And how do you get the manpower and the wherewithal to do this? Because one person cannot do this alone. Well, actually, one person can. Oh. Um, I did start doing it alone before uh-huh. I knew about Resolve and before I was involved with Resolve. Uh-huh. I it was 2004. I was um, an infertility patient, and I was also a volunteer on the um, presidential election. It was an election year. Uh And so I was working on different aspects of the campaign um, through my leadership with the Democratic National Committee. Right. And so I had access to a lot of people in the party, and I was going from person to person to person. John Kerry, who was who was the, the candidate, John Edwards, and discovered that his wife had gone through IVF. Uh-huh. Elizabeth Edwards had their children through IVF. Um, I Terry McAuliffe, who was the chair of the party at the time, I started going to them initially and saying that this is an issue. And I was patted on the shoulder quite a bit. Uh-huh. Um, but I also was meeting different... Uh, congressmen and senators and saying the same thing. We've got to do something about this. We've got to do something about this. And the longer you're an infertility patient, the more you find out how many other people have gone through this. But yes. it's such a shaming disease. It's it such, is. It's such an issue for women who are going through this to not be able to have children that everybody's afraid to talk about it. And so yeah. I was somebody who was talking about it. And to be honest, I was afraid to talk to my own friends about it. My friends, my bridesmaids, when I got married, didn't know I was going through infertility treatment. But John Terry did. Yeah, Um, because it's so lonely. It's very lonely. Every support group I run, which I run quite a few, we talk about the loneliness. And even after you have the child, if it's through donor egg or sometimes surrogacy, not surrogacy as much, it becomes lonely also. Because you adore the child, but you still have have feelings. You have a secret. You have a secret, right, which I try to call private as opposed to secret. It's not surprising that you would tell John Kerry and not your bridesmaids. What's a shame in the matter is that people feel ashamed. We're starting to talk about it now. That's why I started this podcast, so that we don't have to be ashamed, so that people can talk about it. And what do you do? How do you start to tell strangers but not your family or your friends? Because now they're going to find out you're doing all this work. You were honored for it. It's a huge organization. How do you tap into that? 
well, through this process? Well, this didn't happen overnight. I, you know, I started advocating on it in 2004, and we're already talking mm-hmm. about 2019. We're already approaching 2020. Right. Um, so it's not like it happened overnight. I've been talking mm-hmm. about this for a very, very long time. And one of the important things that I learned and that we've learned is that it's not a thing, and it's not an issue, and it's not a problem. It's a disease. Yes, yes, And it's yes. incredibly important to use the correct word in the English language for the condition that people are suffering from. Infertility is a disease. And when you first begin to understand that it's a disease and it's not your fault and you didn't do anything wrong and it's a disease for which you deserve treatment and um, insurance coverage for, it shifts your mindset on it. I love that. I do. I love that you say it so clearly and concisely because that's exactly what it is. And the uh, diagnosing of what the condition is and what the, the root of it is, is where we need to have the coverage. And like many diseases, it doesn't have one simple root cause. No. It has so many different causes. And yes. you have to really go on your own little wild goose chase to try and discover what your specific set of circumstances are. And when you have insurance coverage for that, you're able to get a better diagnosis because you're doing it in a medically recognized manner instead of going to all the different you know, freak show you know, opportunities. As you're saying this, though, I have to tell you, I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, here's this young woman going through infertility, working on a campaign, trying to get coverage and recognition for it, and she's struggling on her own. She's not even telling her, her bridesmaids about it. How do you do that? I cried a lot. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Because talking about it consistently doesn't always make it easier, even if you're getting a pat on the shoulder or a pat on the back, or or you're right, we should do this. But meanwhile, you're going for blood drawers in the morning. My days were what I called a cycle of cycling. Um, (laughs) It's not funny. I don't mean to. It was. It's just You know, you got up in the morning. You got up early in the morning. You went for your blood draws and your ultrasounds. Then you sat around all afternoon waiting for the phone call call to tell you what was going on with your cycle and whether it was working and what you know how to adjust your meds um and then you spent the evening figuring out what time and where you needed to do your injections and to make sure that you were either home from dinner or you brought them with you or i mean i did injections everywhere i did them at a bruce springsteen concert i did them at the u.s open (laughs) i did them you know, wherever I was, I did it in the ba- in my car with a client sitting in the in the passenger seat. You did them wherever you, you just had didn't to. let it stop you. It just kept going. It's fabulous because a lot of people will let it stop them. And the one thing about this disease is you don't want to put every aspect of your life on hold while you're going through it. But the information and the testing it becomes exhausting and overwhelming. And so very often people do do that. Well, you internalize a lot. Um, yeah. you beca- your world is yeah. big, but it becomes very small because there's so much going on in your own mind about mm-hmm. this process. And there's, yeah. you have to protect yourself from certain things. You can't. For me, it meant um, celebrating other people's successes. Baby showers were verboten for me. Um, bar mitzvahs, things like that. I I really couldn't handle them. I found myself in the at a bathroom somewhere crying in a stall. Right. So I that was see that. that was yeah. my problem. But. But not just yours. I I I have to say not just yours. I mean, the holidays are coming. And um, in my own private practice, I have to say the phone calls are coming in much more frequently. I believe that. I'm sure of that. It's a really hard time of year. It is triggers. And the questions and what 
to say to people and what not to say to people and whether you should attend or not is is very difficult. It's heart-wrenching for some people. I have found that my whole manner of interacting with people changes. I don't ask any personal questions. I don't ask people I haven't seen in a long time if they're married or if they have kids. People t- people volunteer that information quite readily, yeah. but I never ask the question because right. it could be a hurtful question. It could be a triggering question. It's a triggering question for me. So why yeah. ask it of anybody else? People love to talk about themselves. They do. So I tell people that all the time. they will tell you everything in 30 seconds, but you don't need to ask. Yeah. And if they don't volunteer the information, there's a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, many years ago... We could all learn from that. Yeah, no, no question. I remember sitting with a friend and his kids, and the friend was busy talking to other people but not paying attention to his kids. And I was having a really fun time talking to his three sons. And one of the kids t- said to me, Risa, you're so great. You'd be such a good mom. Why didn't you have any kids? Mm-hmm. And I, I <laughs> the friend heard it, and he, he jumped around. He's like, oh, you know, don't ask her any other questions. And it was a, a kid's genuine, honest question. But he was a kid. He was right. you know, 10 years old. It's the adults who ask the stupid questions mm-hmm. that they shouldn't. But getting back to advocacy, for me, it was when you're going through it, you have no control over anything. I mean, the doctors can try, but you have no control um, over outcome. You you could do your best. This was something I can try and have control Mm -hmm. over. And control is a huge issue when you're going through this journey. So being able to effectuate change, making a difference, was a way for me to reclaim power. Right. That makes sense. And it's something that I talk about with people and, you know, something that we don't really think of on a conscious level, that this is about control and what can you grab hold of and say, okay, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to succeed in it. And it's something that a lot of women have never been faced with before, mm-hmm. which is That's not right. having control, you know. And the thing for women in particular is that there's so many things we can't do. And of course, it's all changed, and we're supposed to be equal, but we're, we, we know we're not. But the one right. thing that we're supposed to be able to do is have children. Yeah. And when you can't, you really feel like a victim. Whether you are in fact or not is not the point. It's your feelings. For me, advocacy was a way to own who I was, to mm-hmm. be who I was, and to, to speak to people and to do something positive to go forward with it. That's great. That's wonderful. So now... How did this happen that you started talking to people individually and all of a sudden it took off or it took hold? Because in 2004, when you started talking about it, nobody talked about it. Now it's like kind of something people talk about, but there's still areas like donor egg. People don't talk about donor egg. They don't talk about donor sperm. I think that that's probably how it was in 2004, consistently with everything? It was most definitely with everything, something you didn't talk about. For me, it was a progression. First, um, I was doing this, Mm -hmm. and I discovered that there had been legislation that had lapsed in Congress for a national mandate for infertility coverage that had... A a bill had been introduced, but it had gone nowhere. I remember So I tracked down that bill... And I went to go speak to the congressman's office who had originally introduced it. And I also spoke to our senator in New York to ask her to introduce it on the Senate side. And when I was in the congressman's office, 
they actually called Resolve, which is how I affiliated with Resolve. They, oh, my goodness. Resolve called me and said, hey, we hear you're on uh-huh. Capitol Hill with our issues. Right. You want to work together? Uh-huh. And, and that's how I got involved with Resolve. And in the years since then, between National Infertility Awareness Week and the other uh, awareness campaigns that Resolve has done, we have worked very hard to reduce the stigma of infertility, but also have made gains on the advocacy side. Not Some of the gains are not as visible because they haven't always led to coverage, but it has led to a lot of awareness. Mm-hmm. And being on Capitol Hill regularly means that congressmen and senators know that this is an issue and are aware and are thinking about ways that they can make it better for infertility patients. They may not have the answers yet on the national level, but they're thinking about it. It's a concept that is not foreign. And we have discovered that so many people, um, like everywhere else in the country, but so many staffers or staffers' families have gone through infertility. And so there is a federal bill now uh, to cover federal workers uh, that we will continue to press for and try and get that kind of coverage because if the federal government starts covering the different constituencies for which there is federal insurance, then it's not that far of a leap to continue to expand it to everybody. That would be sensational. It really would. Now, in New York State, we're in New York State. The laws are a little bit more stringent than in some of the other states. That was a huge, huge win, if you don't mind me using that word, of having things turned around here. I can't imagine the energy and the effort and the people that had to go into that. You need a lot of good partners. You You do. You need commitment, and you need volunteers. You need people who are willing to go to Albany to tell their stories to legislators. You need people who are willing to at least write emails. You know, as this is going into effect in a couple of weeks, yes, there's been a lot of uh, press about it. And I see people complaining on social media, well, they shouldn't be patting themselves on the back because it really only covers a small group of people and it doesn't cover everybody and how dare they and and. It's very hard for me not to get angry at those people because I want to say to them, well, what did you do? How dare you complain about what wasn't done when you don't know why, when you didn't help get this coverage, you didn't help us get this far? What are you doing? I can understand that. Absolutely. I mean, this is huge because 2.5 million people is not nothing. And getting any coverage, it allows for, for the door to be opened for everything else to be covered. Right. And that's what we want. There's still things that we're looking at on a state level, and if we could turn it federal, that would be wonderful, that isn't covered here. You know, surrogacy, absolutely not. I actually tried to get Gloria Steinem on, but she was on a book tour, but um, to see if we could have a chat with her at the same time about this. If we move to surrogacy, because I think that's the next thing on the books for New York State, I could be wrong about that. So what, there's a couple of so what can we do to help? So That's so what there's I an want. agenda, of okay. course. Um, <clears throat> the surrogacy bill must get passed this year. It's 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 quite simple. Surrogacy mm-hmm. is permitted in 47 states in this country. It's ridiculous that New York does not allow it. It is arch- the ban on surrogacy is archaic and it's misunderstood as to what happens with a sur- with surrogacy. So we are working 
full steam ahead and it is taking an extraordinary amount of my time right now working to legalize compensated gestational surrogacy in New York and to clarify parentage in surrogacy arrangements, even in compassionate surrogacy arrangements. So let me ask you something. If you were to empower somebody with one or two statements about why it's something that we need and why it's something that is approved everywhere else and not here, what would that be? Well, let's be clear. It's being done all over the country. For New Yorkers, it means that they're traveling out of state to do it. That's what my patients are doing right now. And that's extremely expensive. And that means that anybody who can't afford to travel out of state to do it is being barred from accessing this technology and this ability and this medical advance that allows people to have children through surrogacy. So it is unfair to those New Yorkers who can't afford to travel out of state to do it. Second, um, for people who are doing it through non-formal methods, you know, they're they're doing turkey baster, um, sperm donation, or things like that, or you know, or or turkey baster surrogacy. The there is no clarity. There is no state law that establishes who the parents are. So let's say you ask a friend to carry for you, and the baby is born with medical issues. You are not the legal parent, so your insurance coverage will not extend to that child. The surrogate is then responsible? That's not fair. Right. And that leads to a lot of litigation and insecurity, and it's not healthy for the child. So it is happening anyhow. Yes. But we don't have protections for the carrier, for the parents, and for the baby. So the law that we're trying to pass would establish who's responsible and who's and who the real parents are. So that's important. So it's not like it's not happening. It is happening. It's just not being done with legal protection. And what about the people who say, oh, people are just doing it for the money? What do you say for that argument? I want to try and tell people. Well, first of all, there's nothing wrong with money and there's nothing dirty about money. Let's be, you know, again, why would we expect women to do something? Why why do we expect free work from women? Mm -hmm. It is something that is going to change your life for nine, for for 40 weeks. You're going to, you can't drink. You can't drink alcohol. You drink, can't drink coffee. You have to mon- change the your exercise habits. You have to change your work habits. Why shouldn't you be compensated for that? It's comp- you're not being paid for the baby. You're being compensated for the changes to your life as a result of doing this. There's nothing dirty about that. There's, There's not, nothing wrong with that. And it's not trafficking. It's not any of that right no, now. No, no, no. It's really no. trying to help somebody who can't carry a child to carry that child to fruition. We had somebody on um, a couple weeks ago who is a child who was born through surrogacy. And he was talking about the difference in relationship between his mom and the surrogate who carried him. Mm-hmm. And his mom is his mom is his mom. It has nothing to do with the woman who carried him. She didn't want the child. She wanted to carry a child for somebody. The child wouldn't have wouldn't exist but for the fact that the intended parents wanted that child. Yes, it's all about the intent, and it's even the timing of the intent. So absolutely. So there's strong arguments for why we need it here in New York, and I appreciate you doing this because I want to empower people to know what to say like to kind of have the words when they're questioned about it. Mm-hmm. So right now, what do we do to help? So first off is to know who your state senator and your state assembly member is. Okay. And you can find that online quite easily. You could just you know, plug in who's my state, who are my representatives, and find out whether they support it. The bill passed the New York State Senate last June, um, but but because it did not go to a vote in the assembly, 
it will have to be reintroduced again in January, which it will be, and it has to get passed again in the state Senate. So, of course, we still want to count on the people who voted for it last time to vote for it again and maybe even pass it by a bigger uh, uh, margin. margin this year. Um, the assembly, it must be brought to a vote in the assembly. And so people can do two things. They could write to their state as- assembly member and they can write to the speaker of the assembly and ask him to make sure that it comes to a vote. So those are the two things that people can do. They can they can easily go to resolve.org and find uh, and go to the New York State Advocacy sec- session, section of the website. And there's a link you know, they can they can use the link to write directly. I've been to on their, that link, so it's not that hard to find. Do each, does each state have that on the um, website? Every do you know? state that we have advocacy in does have the list of advocacy in respective states for what's going on. Each state has different advocacy issues. Okay, wonderful. And I would encourage everybody, as I have in the past, to go to that website. It's almost like a sigh of relief when you find it because it's got so much information on so many different things. And there's also a tie there to ASRM, which um, has a lot of the medical information for both patients and um, professionals to access and look into. And then if people want to get more involved than just Mm -hmm. simply writing a letter, they can meet with their legislators when they're in the district. They can set up appointments to meet with their legislators themselves when they're in the district. Or they can at least meet with the staff. And staff meetings are very important because staff help set the agenda for a legislator. So they can do that in their local offices. And we will be having advocacy days in Albany. Uh, when the new session starts, we have not established what dates they are, but they can pay. They can sign up for email alerts uh-huh. from Resolve, and we will be going to Albany to meet with legislators on the surrogacy bill. And we will also be continuing to work to expand the IVF coverage. Yes. And it is a little more complicated, but we are going to continue to work to expand IVF coverages to small and indi- individual group plans. Don't And nobody should expect it to happen immediately, but we will continue to work on that. And if anybody wants to get involved in that effort, they need to let us know and they need to engage with us. I think that's fabulous because, you know, there's people who work actually even in the social work union who would tell me that, yeah, the coverage got passed, but we're not getting it through the union, which I found amazing, but obviously true. If they want to get in touch with you or somebody wants to contact you, how can they do it? They go to resolve.org or they can send an an email to info at resolve.org and it is monitored and they will get a response. And that's how to open the door to help to start to get involved. Absolutely. And the other thing that I I've read, I don't know if it's correct, but there's also some mentoring that goes on prior to attending the day, is that correct? So for our Federal Advocacy Day, we have training sessions uh, before federal advocacy. For our Albany Advocacy, we have information that is sent out to all advocates, and then we do a training session in the morning up in Albany before people meet with their legislators. And nobody goes alone. Everybody is with somebody who's got more experience, so they're not you know, trying to figure out what to say and what to do for the very first time by themselves. They're always going to have people. That's great, because I think the mentoring is key in this, because this way when you go, you are knowledgeable about what the talking points are and how to say them succinctly and easily so that everybody kind of grasps what the, what the clear message is. And then you mentioned about the people who aren't covered, and I want to make sure that people understand that if you're not part of a plan uh, that is co- that it will be covered by the new law, 
we still have an access to care program for people to either advocate with their employers to have their employers because there's nothing stops individual employers from including IVF coverage in their the plan that they offer to their own employees. I'm so glad that you said that because so people should be able to to, yes. to go to their HR departments and say, hey, guys, you can cover this. And there's an extra rider and it costs something, but it will still be worth it to employers to, to look into that. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, is with the unions, this is something they should raise with the unions. I mean, this is something that individuals can raise. And again, they can go to the, the resolve.org website for information on how to raise these issues. And there's a packet and there's information. And, and we will be happy to work with them and tell, and tell people how to fight for this. Yeah, and I want to repeat something you just said because I want people to really get empowered by this. Everybody has the right to go to your employer and go to the HR department and talk to them about the benefits. Benefits are determined by your employer and what it is that they purchase. It's like buying a ticket to a movie. If you buy it, you get in. Mm -hmm. So please feel empowered to go and at least talk to your HR department. And if... You know, you want to get more involved and get involved in the legislature and get involved in um, action, go to resolve.org, send an email to the info and tell them you want to get involved and you will get a response because it's monitored. One person can make a difference. Every person can make a difference. And then when they unite, it's powerful. Yes. Risa, thank you so thank much. Thank you so much for having me. This I could so probably talk to you for hours, but I know we're out of time. So thank you. If anything else ever comes up and you want to come on again to fill us in or if we can help, please, please don't hesitate. I so appreciate it. You're doing great work here. Thanks. And if anybody has any questions or comments, please reach out to me at laurimetz.net.